So over the last few weeks, we have been um, following a series where we have been looking at the Bible. And we've looked at the Bible and its effects on our lives. We've looked at the healing power of God's Word. We looked last week at how the Word of God gives us faith. And what I'd like to look at today is how God's Word guides our life. So we should have the PowerPoint up there now, I think. Are we on the same page, Jared? Wonderful. So the Bible, guidance for our life. And I want to just pray before we start, if you would pray uh, with me in your heart and say an amen. Lord, I want to ask you that, Father, as we listen to your word this morning, may we have open hearts and open ears and open hands, Lord. We pray that we would fall more in love with your word. I pray that we would desire to read the Bible more, Lord. Make us hungry for your word, Father, wherever we are, whatever things have been like in the past. God, may we walk out of that front door this morning more hungry for the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been anywhere that is really, really dark? like super, super dark, like you can't see at all. Because you know how it is in the UK, really, wherever you go, there's some light. Street lights, car lights, house lights, there's always a little bit of a glow. And it's really, really hard for people who like astronomy to practice that properly in the UK because it's not really, really dark. Well, several years ago, Clive and I went to a country called Kazakhstan, which I know many of you will have heard of because you know us, but uh, if you haven't, it's a country that used to be part of the uh, Union of Socialist Soviet Russia, the USSR, great big country on the sort of bottom of that landmass. And when communism folded, all the countries that were part of that former union became countries in their own right. And Clive and I went out there shortly after this time. And how the Soviet Union used to organize itself was, you know, one country would make all the cars and share them around, and one country would grow all the cotton and share that around, and so on. And so when Kazakhstan became independent from Russia, it found itself in the situation where the neighboring country, Uzbekistan, made all the electricity. And so when they separated out, Uzbekistan said, you're not having the electricity unless you can pay for it. And um, as these were all emerging countries with emerging economies, what happened was that um, there were a few very difficult years where there would be power cuts all the time. And one of the teachers that we went out to visit there, she was uh, living in a block of flats. There were sort of four stories in this block of flats. They would be cooking in this little front garden on a wood fire in minus 20 degrees in the winter because there was no power. Can you imagine that in, you know, the 21st century cooking on a little wood cooker out in minus 20. And uh, the, the other problem with this was that uh, while we were there, we were trying to visit people in the evenings and spend time with them, but the power would go off. And so you'd be trying to make your way to somebody's house. You had no map, and you really couldn't see a thing. No lights in the houses, no street lights. And down the side of the road, there are these deep drainage ditches for water. They're about sort of waist high. And uh, also, people were trying to make a lot of money um, because it wasn't, well, trying to make any money and, and make a living. And they were stealing the manhole covers from the middle of the road, which I think is happening in England now, too. But um, they would take these. And so there would be a huge hole in the road that you couldn't even see. And they were really kind of, you know, quite a long way down. And so we thought, well, never mind. 
we have torches. You know the Hardings, we have torches. But our host said, whatever you do, don't use a torch because that will mark you out as a Westerner because nobody here has torches and if you put a torch on, you'll be mugged. <laughs> so I thought, do I want to fall down a manhole or be mugged? Mm. But you really, it was very, very hard to see and um, I've never been anywhere quite like that before. I don't know if you have. Have a look at this picture here, the next one. Where do you think that is? Anybody know? It is Korea. Bagushi, you're exactly right. That is a satellite picture taken from space above North and South Korea. Can you see the difference there? Wow. I can't decide if North Korea is a supremely green economy with no carbon footprint, whatever, or if there's just a lot of propaganda there when they say that uh, it's the best country in the world to live and you don't need to envy other nations because there's a huge difference there. That little dot is their capital city, the dot that you can see on the map there. But, you know, I was thinking, when you look at that, if you had been able to take a satellite picture of Israel in the time of Jesus, it probably would have been totally black because there was no electricity, no street lights, no car lights, no house lights. And uh, all that you would have had were like little oil lamps to have seen your way by. And uh, this, the text that I want to speak from today is Psalm 119, verse 105. And it says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Or some uh, versions say, a light for my path. Do you want to read that out with me? Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Now, that would have meant a lot to people in the time of Jesus when they didn't have the kind of lights that we have now because you, they really couldn't have seen where they were going without a light to show them the way. And so when David would have written this psalm and spoken that out, it would have been really uh, powerful in his life. God, your word shows me where to go. Your word shows me where to put my feet, how to live my life. I've got a little prop around the back here. You'll have to let me go and get it and see if this works. It could be hazardous, but uh, when we were in Israel, we went to um, Nazareth. And in Nazareth, they have a little village that's recreated to look just as it was in the time of Jesus. And this here, I don't know if you can see it, is one of the little oil lamps that they would have had in Bible times. It's tiny, isn't it? It's a tiny little lamp, and you fill it with olive oil. Shall I try and light it? Did you dare me? Dave Shearer's not here to tell on me, and I can't see Andy Bowie either. So, Steve, come and help me. I may be okay here to try this out. There's some matches in there. So Steve is now going to try a pyrotechnic feat, and we'll see. They promised me that this is a genuine lamp, and it really would work. What do you think? Yes, thank you, Steve. There. I'm not going to, I'm going to, my hand's shaking. I'm going to drop it if I'm not careful. Ah. But that's what you would have had in Bible times. And it, to see where you're going, you'd have wanted to have that quite close to you, wouldn't you? It would be no good at being on a stand sort of 12 feet away. It would not have cast much light for your feet. So you can see the point I'm making. If the word of God is going to be a lamp for our feet, we've got to have it close to us. That's the picture that's being uh, spoken of in this psalm. So I will leave that there for a moment to um, see what happens to it. See how long it lasts. 
But the Bible shows us where we're going and how to live our lives. And uh, there are other verses in Psalm 119 that you'll be familiar with. Guide my steps by your word, the psalmist says. The teaching of your word gives light. And so we want to hold God's word close to us. So I'm going to look at two aspects of the word of God as guidance in our life this morning. Here they come. The first one is this, daily guidance. How does God's word guide our lives every day? And the second thing is specific guidance in uh, specific situations. How does God's word help us in making decisions for specific things? Well, I don't know about you. Do, you. do you ever find it in slightly infuriating? I'm going to be really honest with you now. So um, I don't know uh, if I should, if, we, if this is being taped. But uh, I find it really infuriating when you ask someone something fairly simple and they say, well, I'll have to pray about that. Am I very unspiritual to think that? <laughs> And you think, just make a decision. Just make a simple decision on this. Or do what the Bible says. You don't have to go away and pray about everything when it already tells you what to do in the Bible. So shall I steal this money from my employer? I better just go and pray about it. No, the Bible says don't steal. That's, you don't have to pray about that kind of decision. Are you with me? There are some things that the Bible is definite about. You're not going to beat up your granny. And, you know, I'm a granny now, so I've got to be careful. <laughs> but uh, some things we don't need to pray about. The Bible tells us what to do or what not to do. And the Word of God can't contradict itself. So if you're thinking, well, shall I be kind to my neighbor, what do you think the answer might be? Yes, love your neighbor as yourself. So um, there are some things that, that we don't need to pray about. Let me ask you a question then question. There's lots of question marks on that slide. Now, this is where it's slightly risky to have sat in the front row. It's always risky when you go to um, any G12 conference to sit in the front row. So perhaps I should pick on someone in the back row just to make you all scared if you're in the back row. Um, but let me ask you this. What have you read in the Bible this week that has affected your behavior in some way? I might... Shall I, is it, does anybody want to volunteer something, or shall I just let us all ponder that in our hearts and think about it as a sort of provocative question? And I'm not asking that to make us feel bad. I genuinely want to provoke us, because, you know, um, is the Bible changing our lives when we read it? Many of you will have heard of a pastor called Bill Hybels. Who's heard of Bill Hybels? He is a pastor of a church called Willow Creek, I think Willow Creek sounds really, do you think that's a nice church name? Willow Creek, it sounds really like it's going to be by a little river, and I think we should call ourselves Arthur's Hill Church. Do you think it kind of, <laughs> see, that would sound, I think that sounds quite good. <laughs> Arthur's Hill Church. Anyway, um, Bill Hybels is from Willow Creek, and he started his church with, I don't know, a hundred or so people, and it's grown phenomenally over the years, and they have a lot of programs in their church, a lot of things that they do, a lot of activities and uh, different things, and he wanted to find out what made the biggest contribution to spiritual growth in the life of his congregation, because he said, wow, we're doing all these things, and they all seem good, 
but actually, which of these are really causing us to grow as Christians and to grow in our spiritual life? And so he looked at all these things, and um, he was very surprised at what he found. And he was so surprised at what he found that he rolled this survey out and rolled it out to many other churches and looked at a lot of people. And all that happened was that it confirmed the findings. So this is the book that he uh, published as a result of it. It's called Move, What 1,000 Churches Reveal About Spiritual Growth. Would you like to know the secret of spiritual growth? Well, um, all the people that did this survey, I think they got at least a 50% response to it, which is quite good as surveys go. And many people in the congregations that they surveyed felt that they had spiritually stalled, come to a bit of a standstill in their spiritual life. But what they found was this. Of all the programs that they ran, all the different things they did, Sunday morning cells, they were all good at gathering people and giving people a sense of identity and particularly helping newer Christians. But if you are a more mature Christian, then nothing will have a greater impact on spiritual growth in your life than reflecting on the Bible. It was an outstandingly way above all the other things. Now, did you hear, I didn't say reading the Bible, I said reflecting on the Bible. Reading the Bible and thinking about it and letting it change our lives. Doing what it says. And that was what they found in this survey. So, uh, the number one thing that causes us all to grow spiritually, to come to maturity in Christ, is to read the Bible Think about it and do it and let it change your lives. That's why I asked that question. What have you read in the Bible this week that has affected your life in some way or changed your behavior in some way? So you might like to just keep that in mind over the next week ahead um, because I, I think that's quite a challenging question to think about. It's very easy. I don't know about you. You can read your Bible passage and read your Bible every day. Tick. And actually, it's not changed us at a deeper level. But that's what will help us to grow. And I believe that I'm speaking to a congregation of people that want to grow, that want to be transformed, that want to go on in God, and want to increase in our spiritual life. Amen? So, this is one of the reasons why... Um, we're always encouraging people to get into the habit of having a regular devotional time in your life, whatever you call it, quiet time, devotional time, prayer closet, I don't know, there are lots of different words, but just that getting alone with God and um, having that time with him. One of the other things that this survey found was that um, the people who said that they regularly reflected on Scripture and um, allowed it to guide their lives and give meaning to their lives, ranged from quite, there was quite a wide range in the churches that they surveyed. What do you think was the lowest percentage of people that, in a church that did that? And the highest? Where should we start? Pick a figure. Five, five percent. You think five, the lowest would be five percent. So five in every hundred of a church congregation were reading their Bible daily and letting it change their lives. Go lower. No, no, there was no church that got zero because the pastor's got to be doing it, haven't they? So that's going to be... <laughs> okay, it was 3%. 3%. 
Three in every hundred. I don't think I can do this. How, I don't know how many of us are here there. But if 3% if of us stood up, it, it, goodness, 97% sat down. 3% was the lowest. But do you know what the highest was? This is sort of perhaps a little bit more worrying. Even in best practice churches, as he uh, summarizes them here, good, good churches, what are you going to guess? 25, you can go up a little. You're doing not badly. You can go up a little. Tiny bit more. A really good church, about 34%, a third. And the average came out at 21%. One in every five of you. So, you know, we could kind of go along the rows and say, um, right, every fifth person stand up and you get an idea of, oh, let's do that. Come along, quick, quick, quick. Every fifth person stand up really quickly. One, two, there. Just pop up where you are. Don't worry too much if you don't get it quite right. These are the anointed people. <laughs> wow. Okay, you can sit down. But you can see that if that's the average in um, evangelical churches of people who are reading their Bible and letting it touch their lives, well, I hope that if I asked you genuinely to stand up, that we would be doing a little bit better than that, actually, because um, I know what kind of people that you are. But are you with me? Reading the Bible is really important, but more important is letting it touch our lives. And keep that question in mind this next week. What is this doing that's changing my life and impacting my behavior? Okay, here's the next picture then. Thank you, Jared. That's that little light. Look, it's still going. Here we are. But just remember... You've got to keep it super close. I'm not going to set myself on fire. That's, I'm, I'm feeling really nervous about this. I can't pick it up without shaking. I'm going to set myself on fire. Uh, you've got to keep it really close. If you want it to show you where you're going, you've got to hold it really close or that it's no light at all if it's miles away from you. Okay? Will you remember that one thing this morning? Amen. Okay. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever read a book. Um, it's a devotional book sort of book by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. Has anyone ever read that here? Yeah, it's kind of like daily Bible readings um, for the year. And something he said that really challenged me is this. We have a responsibility for the revelation we receive. We have a responsibility for the revelation we receive. So if God shows us something in the scripture, we've got to decide what we do with it. And we've got two choices, really. You can't stay in the middle. You're either going to do what, it's, what you've read and what you've um, seen in your heart, or you're going to ignore it. So he says you're either going to be a devoted disciple or you're going to be a deserter. It's a bit drastic, isn't it? But if you choose to do what you've read and what's impacted your life, you're going to be a disciple. If you choose to ignore what you've read and not act upon it, then he says you're a deserter. Don't just respond with your mind or even your heart and not change. You've got to walk in what you've seen and read, he says, or you'll be stuck where you are. In fact, you'll be worse than before because you're being disobedient to what you've read. He says, don't compare yourself to others. Walk in what God has shown you and be obedient to what God has shown you. And sometimes that can be really um, tough for us if God shows us something and everyone else doesn't seem to have seen that. And we're thinking, wow, I'm going to have to change my life as a result of this. It can be, you know, tough if other people are not doing that. But he's saying, be obedient. Do what God has told you to do. Don't compare yourself to others. You can never be the same 
once you've seen something in scripture. You're either going to go forward or you're going to go back. You've gone very quiet. You're still here with me. If not, I'll make you come and hold this light. Okay. Well, that sounds a bit scary. You're either going to go forward or back. And, uh, you know, maybe I, met, I won't read my Bible because then I won't have to read anything difficult or I'll just stick to the bits that I like. But I'm assuming that you're here this morning because we want to go on. I've said that already. We want to be more like Jesus. Who wants to live a transformed life in Jesus? Amen. That's way better than 3%. So that's great. We're not in charge of our own lives, um, it says in Bill Hybel's book. We report to the king. So our first question should be, what does God's word say about this? And Psalm 119 verse 5 says, Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees or your word or the Bible. So that's the first thing. I believe the Bible is here to guide our lives daily, to help us know how to walk, to walk in the light, to be changed in our behavior, to be changed in our attitudes, and if we'll let the word of God penetrate um, our heart and our mind, and we'll think about it and change, then I think that's a really powerful, exciting way to live. Amen? So the second thing is this. What about all those decisions that you have to make in life, the tricky, big personal decisions. So not just the general things, but the big decisions. Yes, no, maybe. Shall I take that job? Shall I move house? Shall I marry that person? Ah, All those big decisions in life. How do I know what to do? And many people feel overwhelmed by making those kind of decisions. But My belief is that as Christians, we should be in a better position to make those kind of decisions. We should have a little bit more going for us to be able to make decisions with confidence about the big things in life. But here's the thing. We make loads more decisions than we ever used to. Every one of us has to make lots more decisions. And we have to make so many more small decisions that sometimes we don't have the energy to focus on the bigger decisions. Do you you know what I mean? So, you know, every day when you get up, I guess if we were living in Bible times, we'd probably just put something sort of long and white on, you know. (laughs) But we have to think what to wear every morning. And uh, if you ever came to Alicia's bedroom in the morning, you would think that she'd thought quite a lot, you know, (laughs) before she arrived on a conclusion. But um, anyway, seriously, what to eat? What am I going to eat for breakfast? Now, listen, okay, here's another quiz. I I don't have a prize, but how many different sorts of breakfast cereal do you think are available in England and America? Lots. That's a good answer. Lots. 250, Caroline thinks. That's her contribution. Dan thinks more. How many, Dan? No, no. I'm, I'm narrowing it down to the last, 20, you know, last few years. I'm not going back to prehistoric breakfast cereals. At least 500, over 500 breakfast cereals. And so if you were roughly the same age as me, you could have had a different cereal every month of your life and you'd have had to have kept picking which one you were going to eat. Would you like to know what you could eat in America and England? Here we get Weetabix. There they get very nice or very, very nice. You could have Apple Jack's Double Vision. <laughs> Who would want to eat that for breakfast? Um, you, he, Jared's put that up too soon, but you could have Donkey Kong Crunch. 
I mean, how would you like to say to someone, well, I work in the Donkey Kong Crunch Factory. <laughs> but uh, um, on it goes. You can have mud and bugs. Caroline, you can have a Monopoly cereal if you were in America. You can have SpongeBob SquarePants cereal. Wow, I'm exhausted just thinking about it, but this was my favorite that Jared put up there. Can you read it? The Really Odd Parents cereal. <laughs> or did it say Fairly Odd? Fairly Odd Parents cereal. If someone could ever find me a box of that, I, I really would be very happy just to have it in my cupboard because I think it's so fantastic. But, um, you know, before you even leave your house in the morning, you are having to make loads and loads of decisions. And the more decisions we have to make, the less good we get at making them. And that's why all these people ring you in the evening trying to persuade you to buy double glazing and things because they know your resistance will be lower by that point in the day. Um, I, I'm going to skip the next slide, slide, Jared, if you can just go on at two for me. What about the big decisions that really matter then? There's still time to change the road you're on, it says. There's still time to make decisions in your life that will really count for God. The things like moving house and so on, but bigger things about how your life is uh, and your ministry is going to develop. So recently, I was speaking to three Christians who were having to make decisions about their lives. Now, before you try and guess who these people are, I've been traveling a bit recently, so I'm fairly safe to say this because it won't necessarily be people in this congregation. Oh, do you know, when we were in um, Israel, I, I have a story I sometimes tell at Encounter about how you get really used to the wallpaper in your house and, you know, you move in and it's horrible and you, can't, you don't like it at all and you're going to change it, but then you get used to it and we can be like that with attitudes in our lives. And one of the ladies on the trip in Israel was a lady that we bought a house off that I told that story about. And I think, oh, I must be careful where I tell these stories. I never thought I'd see her again. And here she is 30 years later. <laughs> so, okay. But these three people, one was having to decide where to live. One was having to decide about a relationship. And one was having to decide about leaving their very um, financially stable career to go into full-time ministry or not. So I asked them all this question. And I'm going to ask some of you this. Okay, I'm going to get down off here and ask. You're not going to escape my clutches this morning. I asked them, how do you usually hear God? How do you usually hear God? Um, I think it's a combination of... Uh, Words, prophetic input from outside, and I suppose prayerful. He's not bad, is he? I shouldn't have asked such a, such a top-of-the-class sort of person. But did you hear what he said? Words, things from outside, instinct. Yeah, anyone got anything else to add to that? A message? A person to you? Like a prophecy? Dreams? Surrender, that's a good one to start with, really wanting to know God's will. Being quiet. Music. So what a lot of different ways that there are coming out of here. What, this, you're all very quiet over here. What about over here? <laughs> For the sake of the, the uh, recording, he said Clive, that's our pastor. Okay. Anyone else over here? To pray? Pray and ask God to help you. Okay, well, I want to uh, go through a few things that I think are really helpful and, and um, share with you something that has been really helpful to me in my life over the years. Many years ago, I read a book, and I don't think this book is even in print now, and uh, I don't have it anymore because someone's borrowed it, so if it was you, I will declare an amnesty and you can return it. 
But this is a book by an American pastor called Bob Mumford, and it's called Take Another Look at Guidance. I can see some nodding going. It's a good book, isn't it? Have you got it? Oh, yes. <laughs> I've been wanting to read that again for such a long time. But anyway, I can still remember a lot of what it said, so you could probably do a better job right now than I could, Eleanor, but we're going to go with it anyway. So this book called Take Another Look at Guidance, thanks, Jared, um, mentions this principle, which Bob Mumford calls the principle of the harbor lights. You could think that that there is a, uh, you can't see it very well, but it, it's like a pier and a harbor and the sea. You could think of it as an airport runway, if you like. But what Bob Mumford said is, you're looking for things to line up. So when a ship is coming into a harbor, that ship has to find the deep channel of water to avoid the rocks on either side. And so uh, to find the deep channel of water and safe passage, the ship has to line itself up with the harbor lights. But not just one light. It has to line itself up with several lights and get them all in a row to know that it's going to be in the deep water. If you can picture it better, think of an airport runway. It's no good the plane coming in just onto one green light. It's got to follow the whole row of lights lining up. So we'll look at that again in a moment. But here are some of the things that he mentions that I found helpful. What do you think the first green light should be? The Bible. That's a good guess because that's what I'm talking on this morning. But you're right. Here we go. The Word of God, the Bible. And of course, there are some definites because I've already talked about that as the Bible is a manual for guiding our lives. But there are some things that we have to figure out for ourselves and use the Bible as a guide to help us. We can look at principles that there are in the Bible. So for instance, what job shall I do? Well, the Bible gives us some general advice. It says it's good to work. So if you're not in paid employment um, and you can't find some, volunteer, do something. It's Good to work is the principle that's in Scripture. And the Bible tells us to work well for our employer, to be honest employees, but to still put God first as uh, we're working. So there's some things that will help you. But then there might be some specifics. So for instance, um, personally, I would not want to work in a bar in a nightclub, for instance. I, and it doesn't say in the Scripture, do not work in a bar in a nightclub. But personally... I think that's not a very good atmosphere to be in if you um, can choose not to be because people are getting drunk and all sorts of things. And, and I don't think probably you're going to influence them all for Christ very easily. It's just going to be a bad atmosphere for you to be in. So for me, I would rule that out. That's not a career choice I would make. Some of you know I'm a, a nurse. And when I did my training, I went and I asked not to be sent to the gynecology theatres um, when you do your operating theatre experience because I thought, I don't want to have to be anywhere near where we are carrying out abortions. I feel very unhappy about that. And I think I can make a protest in other ways, um, but I don't want to be put in that position at work. I'm going to ask now not to be in that place. So I, I wouldn't take that job, for instance. So um, you can probably think of some other ones. Or there may be something that would be okay for one person and not okay for another because of some sort of vulnerabilities in your life or some circumstances in your life. Um, when I eventually did qualify as a nurse, the first post I had, it was on a really busy surgical ward. It was, um, it was really super busy all the time. 
And uh, it was very pressuring. And because it was really pressuring, people kept leaving. And so within six months, I don't know if there's any other nurses here, but within six months, I was the third most senior person on this ward. I mean, I was just hardly out of my nursing nappies, you know, but I was the third most senior person. There was a sister and a, and a staff nurse. That meant between us, we were having to cover a lot of the shifts. I was doing lots of weekends, lots of nights, and I just got married. So in the end, Clive said, wow, this is really tough. You're, you seem to be kind of always at church weekends and nights and so on and so forth. You know, should we be looking at something different? And there was nothing very different um, available. And so we had a bit of a wrestle with it, and I certainly wrestled with it. And in the end, I applied for a job um, in administration in the local police headquarters. And in all honesty, my heart was not really in this, but I felt like I wanted to respond to Clive, and I wanted to be in church on Sundays, and I wanted to do this. So um, I'll tell you this story, just so that if you've ever had a struggle like this, you can relate. But uh, I, I was quite late with the application, because I didn't really want to make it. But um, So I took it in by hand, and it was after the police station had shut. So I got to the police station on sort of the deadline for handing this in. And I can remember standing there, and I put it through the letterbox, but I couldn't quite bear to let go. <laughs> so I took it out again. <laughs> so, oh, God, help me. And I put it in again, and I'm not going to tell you how it was sort of like the hokey-cokey. I was putting this thing in and out of the letterbox. In the end, I thought, oh, God, I'm giving this to you. And I put it in the letterbox and said, I'm really prepared to do whatever you want me to do in life. I just want to serve you. And, you know, a job, at the end of the day, I'll trust you for where you put me, and it'll bring some income in, and I'm surrendering, surrendering. This is key. If you really give something to God and say, I, I don't mind, ha have your way here. <laughs> I nearly set myself on fire. No. Um, and so I let go of this um, application through the letterbox. Well, do you know, the very next day, of course, a job came up that was in... Um, it was a Monday to Friday job, pretty much, just a bit of on-call at weekends, but you didn't get called out, and it was kind of pretty much eight till five or what have you. And I felt like God had rewarded me for surrendering, for actually saying, I'll do anything you want. It was like th that job only happened when I'd sort of had the tussle and given in. But the first job that I was in, that would have been fine for some people, but it wasn't right for me. Are, are you with me? Okay. So there are some things that you can look at in the Bible for principles. And there are some specific things that you can look at. But check out what the Bible says. What's the problem with if that's your only harbor light, what the Bible says? What's the problem? You can take verses out of context. Um, you can, you've all heard of people who open their Bible and put their finger in. And it says, thus I will execute judgments on Egypt. <laughs> I think they've got plenty um, to struggle with over there at the moment anyway. But, you know, you can take something out of context. Actually, it's harder with electronic versions, I find. Because <laughs> you can't sort of stick your finger in like that. But, yes, people can just stick their finger in or take something out of context. And so... That's something to watch out for. So I would say to receive specific guidance from the Bible about how to make a decision in life, you need to be living this lifestyle that we've talked about earlier where you're reading the Bible regularly and then God can speak to you. And I, I know there are exceptions where something's leapt out of the page at somebody at, and, and I, I know that, but I think even those really happen in the context of a lifestyle of spirituality. That's the better way to, for that to be reliable in your life. Um, it says in Isaiah, morning by morning he opens my ear as a disciple being taught. And uh, 
So that's what I would want to be looking for in looking at the Bible for guidance. The second thing that um, Bob Mumford mentions, the second harbour light, is um, what I've called gut feel, because I don't have the book to look up exactly what he called it, but gut feel. Now, the Holy Spirit's leading, if you want to um, put that in a more spiritual way, instinct. But a lot of people uh, that you could go up to in the street would say, well, I follow my gut feel or my instinct. And so it has to be in the context of that gut feel for us as Christians is the Holy Spirit leading us. And again, as I said uh, uh, in the first point, that means we need to live a lifestyle where we're listening to the Holy Spirit day by day and knowing him and recognizing his voice so that we can trust that gut feel that we get. Because if you just trust your gut, then what does the Bible say? It says the human heart is deceitful above all else. And um, so on. But it does tell us in Scripture that the Holy Spirit reveals God's plan to us. It tells us that in Ephesians 3, in Romans 9, you can read how Paul talks about how his conscience and the Holy Spirit's leading are linked when we've given our lives to God and we're trusting him in that way. So that's the second thing. Gut feel, instinct. When uh, we had to come here to Newcastle, um, I think you know the story. I don't mean when we had to come. That sounds terrible. When we came here to Newcastle 15 years ago, um, Steve Thomas, you know the story, took us out to dinner and said, would you consider praying about moving to Newcastle to take on this church? And um, he said, we've been asked to, f- to find um, somebody to come and uh, take on that role. And when we were praying as a sort of team of leaders, you and Clive really came strongly to our mind, and it just felt good to us in the Holy Spirit, but would you go away and think about it? So um, we, we went away, and, well, first of all, it doesn't say in the Bible anywhere that I found, do not live in Newcastle, so that was good. Um, there was nothing specific there saying, don't come. Um, gut feel, Steve turned up two days later, he gave us two days initially to think about it, and said, well, what's your gut feel? And... Uh, the very day before, I'd been praying, and I'd sort of looked at where Newcastle was in the map book, and I got as far as Sheffield, which was the far north in my thinking, and found it was only halfway, and was sort of a little, little bit teary by this point. <laughs> and, I, and when he said, what's your gut feel? I thought, my gut feel is we're going to move. I would not have felt stirred and tearful if I could ignore this. I would have just been able to put it to one side. Um, and... And, of course, we were looking for other things. God spoke to us from the scriptures, uh, from Nehemiah, um, very clearly about coming here. And I'll tell you a little bit more as we go through these things. So the third thing that you need to get lined up, I think, as well, is this. The Bible gut feels circumstances. Now, that sounds perhaps a little bit funny, but I believe that circumstances can be part of guidance in our life. And you can see that in the New Testament when you look at Paul and his journeys and his missionary journeys. And um, the only thing I'd say on this one is I often hear people saying, well, I'm praying that God will open or shut this door. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if you've ever prayed that prayer because I've certainly prayed it. But if you read that in the Bible, it does. Paul talks about God opening a door for the message of God for his ministry. 
And in Revelation, God says, I've opened a door for, the, for you. He's speaking to one of the churches, and he says, I've opened a door that no one's going to be able to shut. But it's about a door being open for the work of God. And can you hear me really right on this one? But there is a little bit of a problem here in that if you just went on your circumstances and you just prayed that prayer, and that's all that you were using as your light for this decision, I have seen occasions where if you really lean hard enough on a door with enough enthusiasm, it will open and you will fall through. So it needs to be in this lining up that I'm telling you about, the Bible, your gut instinct in the Holy Spirit, circumstances. So if you just take it on its own, you could find yourself falling through a door that you were not meant to. Alice, down the rabbit hole. Come Anyway, do you, would you agree with that? I'm not saying don't pray that prayer, but I'm saying don't make that the only light that you're landing your plane on or bringing your boat into harbor on. Next thing. So can you, are you with me so far? What was the first one? The Word of God, gut feel with the Holy Spirit, circumstances. Next thing. I've called this other people. Proverbs 15, 22 says, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. So other people can have input into your decision. What's the problem there? They could be wrong. They could be wrong. And uh, sometimes, human nature being what it is, we can be very tempted to shop around for advice until we hear the thing that we wanted to hear in the first place. And so if you're going to ask other people, be careful who you ask. Ask someone that you know has got some authority um, spiritually and that is not going to give you a hasty answer based on their own opinion or based on what they think you want to hear. So don't shop for advice or just ask people who will agree with you would be my thing on that. Be a little bit like um, Mary. You know when she was told she was going to give birth to Jesus, she held it in her heart. And I think sometimes if we hold things in our heart and see what God says to us, that can really um, be helpful to us. So um, when we were moving here to Newcastle, we, were, we actually didn't say yes to Steve after two days. We said we're going to pray for three months and uh, we'll give you our answer then. And so we didn't tell anyone. That was our decision. We didn't tell anybody at all that we were praying about coming here. And um, there were a couple of occasions where people gave us what we call a prophetic word really out of the blue that spoke into our situation to do with moving into something different, moving into something bigger, that kind of thing. Um, I, I can tell you them at length later on if you want, but I don't want to take the time up now. But God sovereignly spoke to us through other people in a way that we call prophecy. Now, um, a word on that one. If you're going to give somebody that kind of encouragement, I would say be careful about giving very directive prophecy to somebody, especially one-on-one. That's another thing that it's wise to check out with somebody who has got some spiritual maturity because you don't want to be responsible for somebody's whole life if you've got it wrong. So you don't want to go to someone and say, I really think you should marry Fred. You know, that's, that's not... That's, God will tell that person if they should marry Fred. God can speak to that person. Um, you, you might be able to say, I, I feel God's 
is stirring you up. May, maybe there's going to be something for you this year and there's going to be a special relationship in your life. You, I think be careful about giving things that are too directive without checking it out. I, 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 that's not wise. But words from outside, people, other people, things like that is another one of these lights that you can use to line up your landing strip. And uh, finally... The final thing I've put here is this supernatural intervention. And I haven't put it last because it's the least. It's just that it doesn't happen all the time for all of us. Um, and so I've put it in the row of things that you're trying to line up. But God can really break in and speak to people. I believe that. He can give you a vision. He can give you a dream. He sent angels to people to give them help in making big decisions in their lives. Um, Mary Norwich, who was um, my pastor when I got married, and she was the one of the she and her husband were leading this trip to Israel that we were on recently, and and she got saved. She was walking, she got that's good. She did get saved. She's a pastor, um, but she was walking as a young woman down a train station platform one day on her way back to university. She wasn't a Christian at all, but she was beginning to feel there's something that's missing in my life. There's something that I'm looking for. And as she walked down the train station, a whole load of a gust of wind came out of nowhere and blew a whole load of rubbish toward her along the platform. And for some, she didn't know why, she bent down and she picked up one piece of this rubbish. And it was what we call a tract or a little pamphlet about Christianity. And it explained how to get saved. And it kind of was like, wow. She felt like God had done something supernatural to, to bring this in front of her right at that time that she was asking, what is there in life that's a bit more than this? And so things like that can happen to us. Um, the very first year we went to Bogota, I, some of you will know this story too, but we were in our hotel room at night and Clive was sitting there and he was um, going through the notes from all the messages in the day, sort of um, absorbing what we had been hearing. And I was a bit cheeky and said to God, I am so tired, I'm going to sleep. And if you want to speak to me, you'll have to do it while I'm asleep. <laughs> and then I dreamt this amazing dream. <laughs> oh, and this dream was that I was in a job interview. And at the time, I was working in one of the Newcastle hospitals here. But I didn't feel I kind of quite landed... Um, where I was going to be for a long time, in the long term. And in my dream, I was in a job interview, and this is how it went. I knew the name of the job, but I didn't think that job existed in Newcastle at all. And in this interview, there was a very long table in front of me, and there was a lady and a man and a lady at the end of the table. And I woke up, and I said to Clive, wow, I've had this sort of very strange dream. And he said, well, when we get back, you better look and follow it up and see if this job even exists in Newcastle. And you know the rest of the story, or you can guess it. Yes, the job did exist, and it had been advertised as vacant while we were away in Bogota. So I applied for this job, and uh, we had to do a presentation, and there were three or four of us. And when I walked into the room, can you imagine what I saw? Long table, lady, man, lady. So I was feeling very sorry for the other candidates. <laughs> Because I kind of felt like God was, I had a little bit of help <laughs> on my side. But, um, you know, isn't, how did God know two months before to put in my dream where these people were going to be sitting in this table on this interview day? It's, it's boggling, isn't it? But um, that's the job that I'm still doing now. So, um, and God has 
been really gracious to me in it. So, so we can, that supernatural things can break in to help us make these big decisions in life. Okay, who's going to help me with a little illustration then? Five people. It doesn't have to be anybody strong. Take one of these. There's six in there. Just take one, break them, wave them around. Who, who would like some guidance today? Come on then, Adam. No, you can have the spare one later. So stand in a little row, spread yourselves out. Here is Adam, and he's got to make a big decision in life what he's going to do with the rest of his life, who he's going to marry, where he's going to live, what job he's going to do. He's got the lot to make. Yeah. <laughs> so you better be praying for him. <laughs> okay, so he's kind of coming along, and he's wanting... Are you struggling there? Help them, John. He wants to land his life, and he's calling out to God for some help. He genuinely wants... God's guidance in his life. He's not just after his own plan. He wants to fit in to God's plan because that's really important. If you genuinely want to hear God, to do what someone over here said earlier and be surrendered, be prepared. It's a divine message. Be prepared to do whatever God wants you to do. Don't hold back. Stick the envelope through the letterbox or whatever it is. So here comes Adam, and he's really wanting to hear God, and he's lining up his life with the Bible. But what if he's just heading for the Bible? Or he's just heading for circumstances? Can you see? He's not got as good a range of things to make this decision on as if, step forward one step, please, all of you green lights, he lines his life up and comes down the runway or comes into the harbor with all those little lights joined up in a row. Amen? So what's the first one? What's the next one? Come on, be a bit more gut. Oh. <laughs> it's a light, I promise. It's a light. So the witness of the Holy Spirit in your life or Gut feel, if you want to call it that, but remember, you've got to be walking close to the Holy Spirit to trust. That's not just your human heart. It's the Holy Spirit leading you. The Bible, your Holy Spirit leading. Circumstances. Circumstances. Because, you know, you're probably not going to be a missionary to deepest somewhere if you've got no language ability and no desire to go there and you can't get a visa. You know? Okay. But you, that shouldn't put you off if all the other things are lining up. You can pray for that one to come into line. Next. <laughs> He's got two. He th you're not supposed to have two. <laughs> the oh, yes, lots of people. All right. The counsel and advice of other people, but people who are spiritually mature and who are not just going to tell you what you want to hear or give you the advice that they, they think isn't, and actually it's their personal opinion. If anyone ever asks you, by the way, tell them it's your personal opinion if it is. Tell them that. Don't try and make it all super spiritual if you haven't prayed and you don't know. Just say, well, this is what I think, but you need to find out for yourself because he's the one that's got to live this decision, right? Right. And finally, I knew you'd be the angel on the end. <laughs> for the sake of your listening, John Simmons has been the angel today. Okay. All right. So can you see that you're going to have much more confidence in 
receiving guidance if you line all those things up and you don't just zoom in on one or the other of them. But we put the Bible first because that's you know, doesn't change and doesn't contradict itself and you can't really argue with it as long as you don't just stick your finger in. Okay? Thank you very much. You may sit down. <clears throat> so really, that's all I want to share with you today. And I, I would love it if we went out from here with two things that we took from here. We're going to pray in a moment, but I would love it if we all thought, wow, wherever I am in that 3 to 40-something percent of people who regularly read the Word and let it change their lives, I would love it if we thought, I want to be in that, that top percent. I want to be in there. I want to be part of that bracket of people who are reading the Bible regularly and letting it change and impact our lives, because that's how to grow. Do you want to grow? That's how to grow. So that would be my first thing. Hold it close. This really does work. I'm very pleased I brought it home in my luggage. It really works. Okay, hold it close. Hold the Word of God close and let it change and guide your daily life and behavior. And then the second thing that I'd really like is just that we went home with that awareness of how to make good decisions in God. And I, I know there are exceptions where something sovereignly really, you know, you know God has spoken to you because you know, because you know, because you know. But my general encouragement would be line those lights up and you'll make a better decision. So it says in conclusion in Psalm, in Proverbs 19, the last slide, it says this. It says, many are the plans in a man's or person's heart, but it is, it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And that gives me great confidence that if you genuinely are surrendered to God, then whatever plans you may have, God will have his way in your life. One way or another, he will get his way with you if you have genuinely given everything to him with an open hand and an open heart, he will surely speak to you. Amen? Amen. Okay. Oh, let's read that um, scripture that I started with out together again, and then we'll pray. Do you have it there, Jared? It's Psalm 119, and it says this. Are you ready? Why don't you all stand up? We'll stand up. And if you want to read this out as a bit of a declaration, how you'd like to live your life, how you'd like your life to be this next week and in the, the weeks ahead, then pray it with meaning and ask God to help you with it. We'll say it together. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Okay, so I'd like to just pray for a few people this morning before we close. And the first group of people I felt it would be good to pray for is anybody here who's having to make a big decision in life. Anyone here who's having to make those kind of, you know, real changing direction decisions about where you live or what your job is or anything like that, if you're in that position, would you be brave and come forward and we want to pray for you. You don't have to tell us what it is, just come and we will pray for you. And as you're coming forward, 
Oh, that's a lot of people are wanting to hear God for things in their lives. So if you've come forward, begin to ask God to speak to you. With a, have an open hand, have an open heart. Just say, Lord, I really, really want to hear you. I want these lights to line up in my life. And the rest of you, why don't you just stretch your hands out to these people and ask that God will really speak to them because it'll be you another day that's out the front here. So let's stand with these lovely brothers and sisters and pray that God will really have his way in their life. So if you're watching, hands out and pray. And if you're standing here, call out to God and I'll pray over all of us, okay? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you do say that you know the plans you have for us and that they're plans for good and their plans uh, to prosper us, Lord. And I want to pray that the plans you have for everyone who stood here in front of you this morning, Lord, I pray that you would reveal them to these people, Lord. I pray that everyone who's come forward as, as a sign that they want to hear from you, as a sign that they're hungry to get it right in you, Lord, I pray you would meet them. Father, I pray that you would speak to them through your word. I pray that you'd speak to them in their inner hearts, Lord, and in, in their uh, conscience by the Holy Spirit, as it were. And I pray that you would help to line up circumstances for them and that they would get input from other people, prophecies and encouragements and prayers. And I pray, Lord, um, finally, Father, that you would do something amazing for people that really need to hear you for big things come and do something supernatural come and do something they haven't expected something that they um, maybe haven't even ever had you speak to them in that way before lord i pray release your word release your will release your purposes into everyone's life that stood here before you this morning lord in jesus name i ask it amen amen thank you now the second you can sort of if you want to stay here you can but if you want to sit back down you can do but I wanted to pray for anybody I just felt there's some people here and I, I won't call you forward but I wanted to pray if there are people here where God has spoken to you in the past and you just haven't had the bottle to do it you know God has spoken to you about something in your life the call of God on your life or something you should have done something you should have given or something you should have put right or anything at all whether God has spoken to you and brought a challenge to your life and you've kind of not followed it through and been obedient to him. So I just want to pray that God will give you a fresh start and give you another opportunity and speak to you again. So um, you can put your hand on your heart if that's you or put your hand on your heart anyway and we're going to pray for that group of people. Lord Jesus, Father, Lord, would you come and help us right now? Send your Holy Spirit to help us, I pray. Lord, Lord, even now I believe there's people here who are thinking of things that you've said to them. Things you've promised them that they've given up on. Or things you've asked them to do that they've just not felt able to do. So, Lord, I ask you that this morning would be a fresh start, Lord. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And if you've got your hand on your heart because this is you, then just say to God, I'm really sorry. I am so sorry. Lord, would you forgive me? Forgive me for just not really being able to follow through on what you said to me. I ask you, Lord, for fresh strength. 
I ask you for fresh resolve. Speak to me again, Lord. I thank you, Father, that your plans and purposes will prevail, Lord. And I want to be part of your plans and purposes. I want to be right back online, in line with you, Lord Jesus, and in line with your kingdom and your eternal purposes, Lord. So I'm choosing this morning to step back into whatever it was that God spoke to you about. So Lord, fresh mercy, fresh help, fresh strength. I pray a fresh encouragement. I pray where this thing has been like a bit of a lump in people's stomachs almost, Lord. I pray that will lift. Lift the weight, Lord, of um, things we haven't done and give us that fresh opportunity, I pray. Um, May we be blessed and full of joy as we seek to be obedient to you and your word. Amen. And finally, I'd just like to pray for anybody who really, you've you've been here this morning and you're thinking, I want to have a bit of an adventure in life. I want God to guide me every day. I want to hear the Holy Spirit in my heart. I want him to be changing me and making me more like Jesus. I want to, I, I want to read my Bible more. I want to let the word be fresh to me. I don't want to just sit and tick the box because I, I, that's what I think I ought to do. I want it to be life, living water in my life. And it's never too late to, for God to change you and to fall in love with the word again. So if you want to fall in love with the word of God again this morning, why don't you just lift your hands to heaven and begin to tell God how you feel. And wherever you're at, you might be, you know, you might be right up the top of the scale and be reading your Bible three times a day. I don't know. But wherever you are, let's just ask God to give us that fresh heart and fresh desire to really meet him through the scriptures. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we call out to you this morning. Father, we pray, awaken in our lives again a hunger for your word, Lord. Give us a desire to read your word and not just to read it, but to meet you in it, Lord, to meet you as we read the scriptures, Lord, to let our lives be impacted, Lord. We want you to be able to speak to us, Lord, in any way you choose as we read your word, Lord. We want you to be able to change our attitudes. We want you to be able to change our behavior. We want you to be able to grow our character. We want you to be able to bring a challenge to us. We want to receive encouragement, Lord. We want to be strengthened as we read your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we read your word, you make us more like Jesus. You make us more like your son. And Lord, we want to be like him. We want to do the will of the Father. We want to please you. We want to live lives that are following hard after you and pleasing you. So I pray this morning, Lord, that not one of us will go through that door onto the street outside without having that fresh desire, Lord, to meet with you. So God, wake it up in us, stir it up in us, Lord. And when the enemy comes tomorrow and tries to snatch away the resolve that we're feeling right now, we're looking to you for grace and help, Lord, and inspiration at that time. Because Lord, we just want to say, we do want your word to be a light to our feet and a way to live our lives and to show us the path that we should go on. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.